All right, it's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I've recovered from my cold. It sounds like you're recovering from yours, but the best thing this past week is I've got some corporate history pop quiz trivia. So, you know West Virginia, right? I'm familiar the state, with the state. The state. Um, <laughs> so when you when people try to describe West Virginia, often they'll they'll take like their fist and they'll stick their index finger up and their thumb, right? To that's kind of the general shape of it. If you want to describe it, um, so if you think of the thumb, it's kind of a weird. Uh, these like two county, I think maybe three counties, they kind of tacked on. Do you know why those three counties are considered part of what were part of West Virginia when it was broken away from Virginia during the Civil War? Hmm. I mean, you, I mean, you probably would never guess no. that. I wouldn't have guessed this either. So, no, I, I was going to say it has something to do with a, a state corporation. I don't know. Yeah, so the, the B&L Railroad went through Harper's Ferry and through those two counties. And so um, in an effort to keep them protected by Union forces, they were uh, kind of combined into the West Virginia that broke away from Virginia. So those the, the railroad would run through there. And that's why you've got that sort of outcropping on on the northern eastern part of West Virginia. Corporate interests, railroad interests. Well, you know, we were built by corporations, weren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's uh, the corporation shaping, not just literally the shaping the environment, but shaping the state, the states as well. Shaping the states, and and uh, and honestly, they kind of shape the the structure of our government as well. Uh, we can get into that a different day, but uh, so. We had some, well, first of all, I'm getting over my cold. I got, I had the flu this week. It was quite miserable. I don't know if anybody out there has caught this thing. I know where we live, like, I think there was only like half the kids at my, at at school this week for my kids district. It's insane. Um, Everybody's homesick. The flu is really bad. Both me and my girls get it. We were running temperatures from like 100 to 105 um, for, you know, five, six days straight. It was pretty awful. We're all on the men now. Uh, my fever finally broke, so I'm able to get this podcast in tonight. Um, but yeah, try to avoid it if you can. Wash your hands. Stay away from young people if you don't have them in your house. <laughs> That's well, my isn't that what we learned in the past like year and a half? You, you really can't control viruses. Like they, they have their own mind. That's true. It's like their their own thing, and you know. I think it's kind of the misconception about human beings right now and where we are in our society is we somehow believe that we can control everything. And so Mm -hmm. we try to control everything and that kind of just makes it worse. Much, much worse. So we got a lot going on in the news today, don't we? Or this week. Yeah, a lot of, uh, well, there's the whole stampede in Seoul, South Korea. That was um, unfortunate. But I think closer to home, you wanted to talk about the, the intruder that broke into the Pelosi residence in San Francisco. Yes. So um, that's going to be our topic today. We're going to talk about political violence. Um, not really a happy topic. It's not something I, I want to talk about a lot, but um, I think it's something that is necessary that we need to talk about. Um, so we've had a lot of that. You know, we got lucky. We. Who's we, right? I mean, should always be happy when somebody lives, okay? Regardless of whether you agree with them politically or disagree with them politically. You should be happy that people are alive, all right? And um, we've had some near misses um, or some attempts. Nancy Pelosi 
Um, we had the whole January 6th. I mean, they brought zip ties. They were going to kill people, right, or hostage mm-hmm. them or do something to them. Um, we had the situation with uh, Brett Kavanaugh as well. We had Steve Scalise a few years ago where he was shot. Um, if it wasn't for the, the police officers there, there would have been a whole bunch of more. A whole lot more, yeah, deaths, uh, injuries. And then Rand Paul, uh, he, was, he was assaulted as well. Um, the political temperature is boiling right now. And uh, I think it's really important that we turn it down. Um, and I think what would help is maybe if we understand why we're having the, the situations. So I wanted to tell two stories tonight. Um, and they're of two presidential assassinations. The first is of James Garfield. He was our 20th president of the United States. He took office in 1881. The second is of William McKinley. He was our 25th president of the United States, and he took office in 1897. I'm going to start with Garfield. All right, so James Garfield, he was assassinated by Charles Goodell. Um, There are three main players here in this Garfield assassination. That's James Garfield, Charles Goodell, and Roscoe Conkling. Um, Now, Goodell was a loner. He was a failed minister. And at some point, his family actually tried to have him institutionalized. He was on uh, the, he was in the Stonington ferry boat um, crash, which left him feeling like he had a divine purpose. Because a lot of people died, and it was a very horrific crash. Um, I believe it was in the Mississippi at some point. And he thought that he had this purpose. And that purpose was to work for the administration. And that leads us to the other guy, which is Roscoe Conkling. Now, Roscoe Conkling was a big force in the government back then. He actually turned down a Supreme Court nomination at one point in time because he was the leader of the New York Custom House. Now, this is where he had all his power because he used that Custom House job to dole out civil service jobs to people. And then he would make those people, you know, campaign for him, work for him, vote for him. And that's how he kept all his power. And he would also, you know, give out all the contracts to the local businesses, and he'd make a little money on the side, too. And Conkling um, really believed in the spoil system. Garfield did not. So Garfield wanted to come in and clean house. Um, He came in, and he got rid of Conkling out of that New York job. And Godot wanted one of those civil service jobs. Um, Now, did Garfield know that Conkling was a big friend of Charles Arthur? Chester, so Chester Chester Arthur. So Chester A. Arthur, yeah, sorry. So Chester A. Arthur was vice president. He was, he was best friends and working companions with uh, Roscoe Conkling. Uh, um, Arthur was put on the ticket as vice president simply because they were trying to mend the two factions that was happening at the time. The two factions were the half-breeds, which was James Garfield's side. Um, they were kind of the honest, hardworking, principled Republicans of the time. And then the stalwarts, which were the spoil system, corrupt, uh, you know, corporation versions of the Republicans at the time. And um, so the way that the stalwarts operated was, you know, they just, they, they took care of their own. If you worked for them, if you did what they told you to do, you'd, you'd make money, you'd get a job, you'd be happy. Problem is, that only serves a very small number of people. It doesn't serve everybody, and it's not fair. You're not supposed to use the power of the government to, to, for yourself, right? So Conkling and Arthur are in the press all the time, um, mainly Conkling, um, 
you know, kind of bad mouthing Garfield and talking about, you know, you know, different things. And meanwhile, Godot, this loner guy, he wants this job and he comes to the White House and he asks for a job and he's turned down and he comes back and he's turned down and he's there over and over and over again. And he's basically just stalking the president at this point. Um, and eventually, one day, he shoots him. And, and he, he hits him in the, from the back on the left side, I believe. And the doctor at the time that was there probed the wound with no antiseptic surgery or antiseptic, um, whatever that's called. Uh, and it actually causes an infection that kills Garfield about two months later. Now, antiseptic surgery was something new at the time. It was something that people around the doctor told him, hey, take care of this, but they didn't. Um, and he was kind of stubborn, and it's unfortunate because Garfield was a really great man, and he didn't really have to die. Um, but it, it shows what happened here is, you know, people not listening to each other, people not talking to each other, um, people being stubborn, and what, you know, it was just a huge political divide, you know, and, and that division caused anger and angst, and it led to a really great man's death, and it hurt the country. Now, Chester A. Arthur takes over, and he actually is kind of reformed because of this process, and um, he doesn't ever rekindle his you know, really strong relationship with Conkling, although they do continue to, to maintain a relationship. Um, they don't work as closely as they do when Conkling thinks he's going to get his job back afterwards. And in fact, a lot of people thought that Conkling and Arthur put Godot up to it. Godot made reference to them, um, like it was kind of some sort of conspiracy. But Garfield was appalled by that. He, you know, he was a he was a shady character, to say the least. He actually burned all of his papers, and he makes reference that he did a lot of bad things in those papers that he didn't want anybody to find. Um, but he, after the assassination and after becoming president, he became a better person. He, he righted a lot of his wrongs, and he, um, he never gave Conkling that custom house job back. Um, uh, Conkling actually resigned from the Senate over this, and thinking this was pre-17th Amendment, right? So he thought mm -hmm. that they would just give him his job back, but they didn't, which was awesome. But it shows, it shows what happens when a really nasty person uses the press to say bad things and divide people. Misguided individuals, ones that are disconnected from their families who maybe don't read, don't understand what's going on in the world. They take these things as signs, like they're like they're supposed to do something, and that's what well, that's what happened to Godot, and that's what happened to Garfield because of it, and it's it's a really awful thing, and you know we don't want that happening to any of our leaders. We don't want that happening to anybody, somebody good, you know, from a community or whatnot. Um, we've seen lots of different political violence. I mean, I think we had some threats locally here, didn't we, um, over the last few years? Well, there's always, uh, I think there's always a concern, but I know in the past year with the COVID um, shutdown and such, um, some of the local boards and stuff were very concerned about people because the meetings would get kind of heated. So I know um, there's, they have magnometers, magnometers at the Board of Supervisors building in Loudoun, and I think we have them at the, the board, school board building in Ashburn. And then I know... 
last year when the whole sexual assault thing was going on in the Loudoun County Public Schools, there was a lot of of alleged threats and things that were going on. So there were even sheriffs, deputies sitting outside of school board members' houses just kind of keeping an eye. And I mean, we were in the midst of a move, and so we were packing up our house into a big truck. Um, and this, I can only imagine what the sheriff's office guy was thinking. But there was a sheriff's deputy that was driving up and down the road, um, and he never said anything. But I, I only know after the fact because other people mentioned that they had deputies um, around them that it was probably related to what was going on in the middle of October. Because again, like there was a lot of there was there's a ton of passion because um, you had a, a close race, you had a um, awful incident that occurred, and uh, a lot of people were getting. Um, just you know, animated about it because I think what happened was awful, and you want to see kind of justice come out of that. But as uh, you know, as we've talked about, this sort of there is a virtue in kind of moderating this and letting things play out and letting the truth kind of come out to that. Um, and I know, like with this Paul Pelosi incident, um, there's a lot of stories that I'm seeing of people trying to spin it so that it fits whatever they would like. And I think there's there's some people trying to make Paul out to be a terrible person. There's other people trying to make this out that this is just right-wing talking points have, gener- have driven someone. Um, and, you know, maybe there's some kind of truth in the middle of that. And I just think that being patient as you try to get all the facts and try to figure this out is the, the more prudent situation rather than getting all animated and just throwing, you know, T- taking the Molotov cocktails that are flying over the walls and throwing them back at someone like that's, you're just going to end up burning the city down. You're not going to make it better. And uh, that's, I think what you're, you, you can rightfully point to in history and say like, look, there's, there's already precedent that um, shouting and getting angry at people in the press, even though, you know, maybe you don't think much of it, but like that does affect people that does shape people. And if you um, have, sort of a combustible person that is not in their right mind, they can easily take this literally and do terrible, terrible things. And, you know, I mean, we don't know what it was going on with mm-hmm. Pelosi, mm-hmm. but like we mentioned before, you know, there's Scalise, Rand Paul, Brett Kavanaugh, like this is happening over and over and over again. And it's happening for a reason, right? It's happening because our leaders are talking divisively. They're talking angrily. They're not doing anything. And they're really upsetting a lot of people. They're causing, we have one of the biggest political divides in our history happening right now. And that's what, that's what this was. This was a political divide within the Republican Party that led to an assassination. We have a political divide in our country, Republican and Democrat, where, you know, you've got extremists on both sides that are so far apart, they can't even see each other. And we're going to have something bad happen if we don't bring the temperature down. And in order to do that, we need to understand what's going on. We need to understand that if you're sitting at home and you're listening to people on your TV, just turn the TV off. Turn Fox News off. Turn CNN off. Like, you got to stop because they're not they're not really giving you real information. They're not giving purposes. you anything of value. They're just, te- they're just dividing you. And for entertainment purposes, they're out there to make money. Which actually brings us to our next story. Now, remember last episode where I, I talked about how there was like a thin line between, you know, it was a, 
uh, who was it? Um, Alexander oh, Hamilton. The, the Federalists, the Madisonians, yeah. And Alexander Hamilton to Webster, Clay, and then Conkling to the New Republic and the Corporation Republican Party. Well, that Corporation Republican Party and that part, that political divide that happened, that stalwart part of the party during the Gilded Age really was in bed with corporations. And they they helped corporations, you know, entrench themselves in this country and gain a significant amount of power. Now that power led to an economic divide in the late 1800s. Now, William McKinley, he was our 25th president of the United States. Now, he was elected in 1897, and he was elected with one of the biggest spending campaigns of all, in fact, he was elected with the biggest spending campaign of all time. It was the first time that advertising was really first, uh, foremost in the system of uh, political campaigning in a presidential campaign. His, uh, his main guy, Mark Hanna, he has this very important quote. I'm going to read this for you. There are two things that are important in politics. The first is money, and I can't remember what the second is. <laughs> yeah. And that, look, if you've never gone to one of your local party meetings, go to one of them and see what they think. That's what they think, too. The people that are running the meetings, the people that are in charge, that's what they believe. That's what political PACs are. Political PACs are money. They believe money is what drives politics, and it's just wrong. Money is what divides us. Money is what divides the country. And this is what happened to William McKinley. Now, I can't really for say, I can't say if McKinley was, how corrupt McKinley was. I don't really believe that he was. I think he was a little bit naive. He was just kind of in his own little circle. But he was really kind to businesses, and he uh, had a lot of policies that benefited corporations. He used corporate money to get elected and to maintain power, although I don't think he did it on purpose. I think the people around him did it to prop him up. Um, but there was this guy, Leo Kolzik. He also went by Fred Neiman. He was a socialist, a loner, and an anarchist. He's the one that killed McKinley, and he did it because... He, he fell into that economic divide of the country. We had a rise of communism, a rise of socialism, just like we're having now, mm -hmm. right? And the reason that we had that is because corporations were making rep record profits. People were not able to pay their bills. They weren't able to get jobs, and nobody seemed to care. And it caused a lot of people to be angry and frustrated. We had a lot of other political violence. Um, the Haymarket Day uh, or the Haymarket Square bombing happened during that time period as well. Um, there was a lot of unrest that went on. And that's essentially what led to McKinley's assassination. Without that economic divide, Leo Kolzig probably doesn't end up in this anarchist group. He doesn't end up, you know, tracking down the president at the World's Fair and shooting him, you know, and McKinley ends up staying president. But at the same time, McKinley's probably not president if we don't have the economic divide. Right. right? <laughs> now, after McKinley's assassinated, do you know who takes over? No. Theodore Roosevelt. Good old The trust guy. buster. So think about this. Garfield took over and he kind of, or excuse me, Arthur took over after Garfield and he kind of, he did a little bit of reform, civil service reform. I think he was the, the Pendleton Act or Tim, was it the Pendleton Act that uh, uh, Arthur did where it, the civil service reform? Well, Roosevelt comes in and he does uh, economic reform, trust busting, um, and goes after all the, you know, the, the, 
the yeah the conglomerates the corporations i mean like the big companies that were trying to yes. control uh, the political leaders right so in both of these circumstances there was this build up of bad things happening something really awful happened and then you had like a flattening out period where somebody was like all right maybe we should do something now roosevelt was just the type of guy that was that was what he was always going to do mm-hmm. right now arthur he was never going to be that way he was reformed by the terrible situation that happened what i'm i'm scared for right now is what happens now like do we have anybody in our system that's willing to like make some changes like do first why do we have to wait until something ha- awful happens before we need to start making some changes and and next like if it does is there any leaders that you see right now that actually have the heart the desire and and the ability to make some sort of like real change going in the right direction no i mean based on what what happened uh, uh yesterday i would say most of them would just go on whatever cable news uh show they can get on so they can get their talking points out there and gin every gin people up and get more controversy going like i don't <coughs> the kind of people who have gotten into power um got into power on trying to divide people and i don't see why that would change uh other than just like like in the chester arthur case just a, a real conversion and a real um but you you gotta wait to see what happens out of that unfortunately the arthur thing um is really fascinating story because there was this um woman she was i think she was a midget it doesn't exactly explain it in the book um she was really she wrote him letters and she basically was like everybody thinks that you are the person that killed him but i don't think i think you're a good man i don't think you had anything to do with it and he was so touched by it he kept her letter and she kept writing him over and over again with this positive stuff and he eventually actually goes and meets her and um they kept the relationship and it was just it's a really fascinating story it inspired he kept all of her letters and it in if you read her letters you'll you can see where you know he was uh he was widowed during his presidency so he didn't have a wife and i talk about in my personal life all the time how much my wife helps me and keeps me like you know keeps me strong keeps me going and i she kind of served that for him that role for him and that that supportiveness and and shaping him to be that the good person that he wanted to be mm-hmm. right i talk about that a lot most people want to be good and they just need somebody there to let them know that they are and that they can be good and that's kind of what she did for him and um that's what most wives i think do for their husbands <laughs> the con- yeah like the conscience and the jiminy cricket and um you know i just i look at her leaders today and i wonder what are they thinking because you look at the response to what happened and you know look at the between the media and the leaders look at our local stuff we had uh Vega and Yunkin. I think they had a rally going on very shortly after it happened. And they're, they've been criticized, or at least Yunkin was criticized pretty heavily for being heartless about his response and, and saying that he mocked him, which I disagree. I don't think he mocked it at all. Um, but I also don't think he talked about it appropriately at all. Now, we talked last week. Yunkin wants to be president, or at least he's acting like he wants to be president. You know what our president does? President pulls people together. This was an opportunity to speak about lowering the temperature. And he said, political violence is, has no place, but we're going to send Nancy Pelosi home to see her husband. <laughs> and I know that's, a, that's not an exact quote. It's paraphrasing. Um, first of all, 
it's inaccurate because even if Yesley Vega wins, Nancy Pelosi is still going to be a congresswoman. Okay, yeah. she's not going home. Okay, that's my biggest problem with that. Not in San Francisco. The governor, the governor of Virginia doesn't understand what's happening in the government. Okay. The next thing is he was given a, a redo on Newsmax with Greta Van Susteren, and he didn't even try to correct that. And I'm not talking about correcting the faux pas of mocking him. I'm talking about correcting the fact that he said he was going to send her home. Your job is to educate people on the government. If you don't know and you're not telling the people that are listening to you the right things, then the, the voters aren't going to know. Glenn Youngkin, do better. Do better. And more than that, this was an opportunity for him to sit down and just be like, look, we have, to, we have to stop. We have to sit down. We have to come to the table. We have to have some conversations as opposed to being angry, frustrated, and sending people home. This isn't a winner-take-all situation, okay? It's supposed to be win-win, right? Because whatever person wins the office, the country is supposed to win. We're supposed to work together as a team, but too often it's seen as win or lose. If we win, the Republicans win, and, and the Republicans are happy, right? But if the Democrats win, then that means we lose, and that means we're mad, and we're angry, and that we have to yell and scream at them. And it's just, it's not the way it's supposed to be, man, and it's, it scares me, frankly. Yeah, I mean, so much of it is uh, one side, again, not listening to anyone else. And once they get into power, all they want to do is is push whatever agenda they did uh, they were they ran on, which again you you run an agenda you win. Um, there is some aspect of that, but I I think too much of it is sort of this majoritarian rather than uh, understanding that sometimes people have other ideas for it, and there's there is virtue in listening to what other people have to say, uh, and maybe tempering your responses. And I mean, like I think like the whole school reopening thing is what is was such a crazy situation where it was very partisan when I think there was a lot of um, work that could have been done on both sides in order to try to figure out the best way to make things happen for as many people as possible. But instead it was so much of like, well, no, this is what we believe. This is what our people are telling us. And we're not going to listen to you at all. Uh, and we're not going to try to find any compromises or any workarounds to any particular situation. And then, it, you know, then it, then just bad blood in there. And, and that just, um, more and more bad blood, uh, it you know it, it doesn't go away. The only way something like bad blood goes away is if you uh, if you give in a little bit. If you say like, okay, well we'll listen to you on that, and we'll we'll give you that. That's that's a great point, or that that's something we can work on. And in, instead, it's just like no, can't listen to you at all, can't agree with you at all, um, and we're just not going to even pretend that your argument has any merit at all and warrants any response. I look at it like we talk about the parenting aspect, right? A lot. That's it's like politics and parenting. You know, when I'm trying to like work with my kids and my kids have put a lot of effort into something and they come to me and they're like, hey, dad, check this out. Do you think the first thing that I do is point out every mistake that they make? Because that'd be kind of demoralizing for them, mm -hmm. right? It would also make them not want to come back to me. No, I'm like, hey, good job, buddy. Look at this. this you did this great. You did this great. And then I let them kind of wait and go, what do you think I could have done better? Or, you know, I, I wait to that moment where there's an opening where I can say, well, maybe we can work on this together. We can, maybe we can work on this together. Maybe that's how politics should work, right? Like maybe that's how a, a, a political uh, 
elected officials should talk about things and be like, you know, I really like the bill that was proposed. I like this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. But these things, maybe we can work on those together and we can make them better as opposed to going out on the no- news and being like, well, they're socialist, they're a racist. We have to you send me money so I can win office so they don't destroy our country. You know, like, I mean, like, what is going on? So before we transition into the next topic, I just want to say something here. So before I got into politics, which is crazy that I'm even in politics, I'm a 37-year-old small business owner, uh, father of five. I have barely graduated high school. I have no business doing this at all. I was having an argument with my dad, and I said... We were, it was Trump, right? Like I just, I couldn't, that was the first key that something was significantly wrong because <laughs> this sounds bad because this was before I read and I'm not, I'm so much more educated now than I was before, before I was reading. But I looked at Trump and I go, I could do that. <laughs> and the moment I thought I could do that, I was like, something is wrong. So I'm having an argument with my dad and he says, Jeff, everything will be fine. And I said, why? How do you know that? And he goes, because it always is. And I said, dad, for the first time in my life, I don't think I believe you. I'm scared. And I'm not going to stop until I find a way to get something better. And ever since that moment, I have been reading like a crazy person. And what I learned was I was kind of right. Things are significantly broken. And what led to Garfield's assassination was political partisanship. What led to McKinley's assassination was economic division. And it was caused by the people in power, the people making the decisions. And it was also caused by the people not getting out and getting involved and in their local parties, in their local offices, and voting for the right people. And that's what we have going on in our country right now. We have one of the worst situations in our history. If you could take a little bit of pre-Civil War, a little bit of Gilded Age corruption, and a little bit of that um, uh, back and forth between you know early 1900 um, labor capital mm-hmm. labor fight, you put all that together. That's what's happening in our country right now. We have a huge superstorm brewing. Okay, and. I don't say that to scare people. I'm sorry. (laughs) Because we have something that they didn't have. We have the knowledge of the past, right? I talk about Madison all the time. And one of the things he he would, I, I always go back to is him talking about how he wishes that he had notes from the Greek and the Roman setups. Because he's like, if I just knew how they set up their system, I could write a better one. Because I know what, I know how it worked and I know what went wrong, but I want to know the why, why they yeah, did what the they why, did. What I want to know the why because I can make it better, right? Well, we have all that. We have Madison's notes. We have all these different instances that's happened that's happening right now, and there's nobody doing anything about it. I mean, look, you and I ran for Congress in our in our district, and the the person that won, you know, good good person, right? But she's not qualified for office, and the person that he's running against is probably less qualified for office, and she's already in office, like. It's scary, but we've got the information. We've got the knowledge. We just need to get people involved. We just need to, look, put down your phones, turn off the Fox News, 
Play a little less fantasy football. Drink a little bit less. Invest your time into your country. Invest. Let's well, not in your country. Invest your time into your community. Your county, right? Yeah, your county. In your in your community, find people in your community to be leaders. Spend time reading books on history and politics and understanding what's going on. So you're not so angry because what makes people angry a lot of time is just a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. And if you if you took the time to get the information, you'd probably understand what was going on. You wouldn't be so scared until you get too much information and then get really scared. (laughs) (laughs) It starts to confirm all your fears. (laughs) Well, it's information that you know and you know that other people don't know it. And I think the fear is that people are going to make bad decisions because they don't, they don't quite understand the full context. I mean, um, but I've been thinking, I was just thinking about your point about qualifications. And I remember at some point I got, tasked to sit on some little interview panel and they that was school board related and they say what's your qualification for this and it, i think they were expecting me to be like well i got a phd in this or a doctorate in education in this and i said i'm over 18 and i was i was elected to this office so i think there there is some kind of virtue <laughs> in trying to uh let the let the people try to figure it out i mean um you know there there's sort of the wisdom of the crowds that you would hope that in general people make good decisions um, over time, but and I think that's the beauty of the, of the house because it is so many small decisions made over such a, sh- a long t- period of time. But there's a lot of turnover, you know. Like every two years, everyone's up. So if you if you mess up, you people will let you know. Yeah, I mean my my goal when I you know everybody's like Jeff, what are you doing running for office? Well, I mean I didn't really think I was going to win this time around. Although, look, somebody like me, like I'm a determined individual, I always believe that I can kind of do anything, right? Like, it's not an arrogance thing. It's just like, I work really hard and I, I see pathways and it's like, well, if everything falls into place, if I get lucky here or there, sure, I can do this. Um, but I knew that. I knew realistically I was never going to win. That wasn't really the goal. My goal was to win next time because I think 2024, I think we're in for our 2024. For yeah, the election it's a bigger, it's a bigger show. We've shown it. It's it, well, it's going to be it's going to be contested. The election's going to be contested. It's going to be a huge fight in our country. And I was like, well, I got to be in office to like help people understand what's going on when that happens. Like that's that's my goal. And I figured I run for office this time, so I just like can learn and be better prepared for next time. <laughs> Get your consultants lined up for. Uh... Oh yeah, those consultants—they're doing such a great job, aren't they? taking all our money um so what was your other topic there john the senate um yeah so i've been thinking about the 17th amendment and just for general context i think the 17th amendment was was a problem um i think there was probably the wisdom of again if the senate is going to represent the states you should have the state legislature which is kind of the representative of the people of that state pick the senator um and i think that I think the, the the idea behind that was to um, allow for like the best people in the state to kind of come forward and to go through that process. But it, it kind of struck me when you when you think about um, campaigning for the Senate, if you think about the Lincoln Douglas debates in particular, and that, like those are famous debates. You had Abraham Lincoln, Stephen Douglas going all around Illinois trying to win a Senate seat, but the kind of the we look at that from our 17th Amendment perspective and we say, okay, yeah, well, they were just campaigning for votes and stuff. But in reality, they're kind of campaigning for other people 
to kind of put them into office. So, you know, they're they're not working per se to convince the voter to vote for Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is going around convincing someone to vote for the Republican representative in that district so that that Republican representative owes Abraham Lincoln and will send him up to Washington. Um, same, you know, same for Stephen Douglas. Stephen Douglas has got to get a Democrat elected so that the Democrat can send him to, to Washington. Um, so if you think about it, like one of the complaints, and again, I guess it goes back to like asking what's, what's the question? Like, why would you think that the 17th amendment is a problem? And I think, well, like it's just, it allows for more, um, the influence of money because now you're running a, basically a whole statewide campaign. Like we talked about earlier, like a mini presidential campaign where you got to raise a lot of money, get your name out there as much as possible, convince as many people to vote for you. And I think maybe this is, goes back to like the, our founding fathers not quite envisioning a two-party system. Maybe they didn't envision quite the campaigning that would go into a senator trying to get that spot and that they would actually, the senators themselves would go around the state trying to get other people elected so that those people would owe them and, and put them into office. Um, you know, and I think, um, I know one issue that you could imagine if you, you know, the Senate campaigns are so nationalized, right? Because the Senate is responsible for national issues. And I think if we were to get rid of the 17th amendment and go back to local legislatures, responsible for picking the senators now those local races become nationalized as well so instead of really it being about like what's best for the state what's best for like my little neighborhood talking about getting involved with the community like what's the best for prince william county and the data centers that they're going to put on, on national battlefields um it becomes more like well what's your take on ukraine or uh you know what do you think about um some of the, the culture war issues that are going on and again those are important issues but it kind of having the local elections now tied in so directly with those national issues. And I think just you would imagine that that's the way it would go. Maybe it would ruin those elect, those local issue, those local elections. And I can just think back to my campaign in 2019 for the school board. Um, as much as I would want to say like the, the merits for people getting on the school board were how much they know about education and how much they can help uh, schools and stuff. Like so much of the 2019 election in the suburbs of Northern Virginia was about What's your relationship with Donald Trump? Are you somewhat tangentially related with him in a good way or a negative way? And, you know, like that's that becomes it. Like I, I'm thinking about the guy who ran for the, the chair of the Board of Supervisors in Loudoun County. Like the whole complaint about him was, well, he he likes Trump. So, you know, it isn't anything about like local governance. It isn't about like data centers. It isn't about local taxes and things. Um, it's about like what's this guy's relationship with Donald Trump? And I think on the school board, too, it was uh, well, you're you're endorsed Republican. We Donald Trump's Republican. We hate Donald Trump, so there's no way we're going to put a Republican on the school board. And then I think that, like that's why you get kind of interesting people put onto school boards that maybe don't have shouldn't be there. And in a more sane system where you're going to think about the uh, the, the merits of the candidate, the the qualifications that you t talked about earlier, like um, it gets kind of wrapped up in this whole national issue. So. Anyway, that was just a thought I I would had like a lot of people think that the Seventeenth Amendment should go away because it would it would sort of free up the senatorial campaigns, but maybe there's sort of knock on effects of that, and it wouldn't actually, and we'd be kind of stuck with the same system, um, and maybe it would it would have negative effects on on more local uh, elections. 
Well, I mean, I, I think that if you just if you got rid of it on its own, you're probably right. Um, but I think that you have to get rid of it along with other reforms, obviously. Oh, the other finance. ones that I want to do, campaign mm-hmm. finance, uh, you know, Y four thirty five, all that stuff, right? But if you if you put those reforms in all together, um, I think you you've got a system that kind of focuses things back to where it is. Because what you do then is you break up the the partisan divide. Because all those things you talked about, those are those are partisan issues. Most people don't care about those things. Mm-hmm. Most most people don't care about those big federal issues, the the big scary ones like the you know defense, uh, you know national world defense. Like they care about them, but they don't understand them enough to make them their number one priority yeah. um, until you know the threat of nuclear war starts. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that then it jumps up there. I hate to break it to you, but that's always a threat when when there's a nuclear bomb in the hands of a madman. Okay, it's it's, it's just you're not thinking about it. But you want to elect people who are and who, who know how to handle that. And so I think if you put those measures in together and you repeal the 17th Amendment, um, I, think you're, I, I think it's a better system, obviously. Um, now, you mentioned something there about how the, you would go around and you would try to get people to vote for this other person so that person would vote for mm-hmm. you. It's kind of like if you were, like, were going to run for president in 2024 – and you thought that the election, they were going to take a, a system, maybe there was a, it was challenged, and you had a divide, and maybe the governors came into play. Have you ever thought about that in a presidential election? Because isn't that a thing where, like, the governor can, like, decertify something? Or, it, or at least, it's not supposed to happen, but isn't that what they were trying to do during the 20, uh the 2020 election? It, it probably depends on the state, but I imagine um, a state like Virginia, where the Secretary of State is appointed by the governor rather than elected statewide, um, there could be some kind of meddling or some kind of uh, pushing around. I mean, like that was the thing with Georgia is the Secretary of State is his own elected position. And so that person um, is actually doing pretty well in the polls in Georgia at the, at the moment, uh, running for re-election. Yeah, but if you, so like if you were, if you were trying to like, illegitimately become president you know maybe you're trying to do it legitimately but your backup plan is like well if i lose i want to do this you would want all those governors you want as many governors to owe you as possible mm-hmm. right who's out there in other states trying to get people to owe them <laughs> who isn't who isn't <laughs> i mean and to be fair i mean desantis was in new york yesterday right i mean again like why is DeSantis in New York? Could you imagine a governor, the governor of Florida, like traveling to New York in 1900 to get the go- the you know? To- it's just insane. I could insane. if they had if they had air travel. Knowing these people, I, I could. But let let New York be New York. Let Florida be Florida. Isn't that Florida's like motto? Is like we're Florida. Let us be Florida. Like. Could- why are you trying to go make other people you, you know, like, isn't that the whole system? You're a Republican. You're supposed to like this federal system that we have, but you're trying to make it a national system. It's bad poli-sci classes. That's what it comes down to. It's they're hypocrites. They're liars. They, that's what they are. They just, all they want is power. They just want people to do what they say. And if you disagree with them, they call you the devil. They call you a socialist. They call you a communist. They call you a racist, depending on what side of the aisle you are. And, and they, de- they demean you as opposed to just, you know, talking about real issues, 
talking about real facts and having a civil debate. Like I would love, I would love the opportunity to sit down with any of our leaders on a, like a, a debate style thing. But instead of having a debate, which I think are terrible, by the way, they should literally just put two people at a table and let them have a conversation back and forth, however they want to have it. I'll do that with anyone. And we can talk politics all day long. DeSantis, Yunkin, who's a, who's a Democrat? I don't follow Democrats very much. Um, who's a big Kathy Hochul. Democrat She's there. running for re-election in New York. Yeah. I See, I get criticized for uh, criticizing the Republicans. They're like, how can you be a Republican if you're criticizing them? And I'm like, isn't it like they're my team, right? Aren't I supposed to make my team stronger? Isn't that like how you make mm-hmm. your team stronger by like challenging them, right? You want a good backup quarterback to make your, your starting quarterback better, right? You don't yeah, want competition. Backup, quarter, backup quarterback who doesn't know anything, right? Um, I'm not paying attention to the bills, man. I'm not on the bills. <laughs> Well, it's uh, I mean, that's the the lie between am I my brother's keeper? Like, yes, you kind of are. You know, you're supposed to help your brother out, and I think that goes back to the the first part of trying to uh, tone down the temperature. Like, you, you know, the other side isn't going to tone it down. You got to tone it down yourself, and I think that's how the whole temperature uh, goes down. If you're if you know if you take out the heat from one side, eventually it will um, all cool down. Well, and, and lead by example, or just like the family aspect of it, right? It's like, we take care of our own family. Like if I'm a Republican and the Republican side is my family, I'm not going to go criticize somebody else's family and how they're raising their children, but I certainly will allow my children to criticize me and listen to it and adjust from that. Um, and that's how it should be. But we don't live in that type of system now. It's like we live in this like monarchy, dictatorship type system where it's like, if you are of the common folk, right, you cannot challenge us. You're not allowed. I mean, I tried to have meetings with Hung. He wouldn't meet with me. I tried to have meetings with Yesli. She wouldn't meet with me. I tried to have meetings with the leader. I, I paid $7,000 to run for office, and I couldn't get the leader of my local county um, party to sit down and have a one-on-one meeting with me. I couldn't have the leader of the district, um, the district that we ran in to sit down and have a one-on-one meeting with me. Nobody would have a meeting with me, even though I ran for office. And even though I put all that time knocking doors, they wouldn't talk to me. Why? Because maybe it was because I wore flannel. Maybe it was because I had long hair. Maybe it's because I don't have money. Maybe it's because I challenged them. But, the, but it shows what the problem is. They're not listening to people. They judge you. They decide what you, they think you're doing and they think you, you have a goal for. And they dismiss you. If, if you're not a value to them, they don't want you. And that's a scary prospect. It's scary for them because they'll lose power eventually because you can't keep enough people working for you mm-hmm. with that type of system long enough. I mean, if you read history, yeah, the patron runs out that. at some point. <laughs> it runs out. You're going to use up all the people. <laughs> you can already see it. I mentioned it on the last podcast. <laughs> but yeah, we got to do something. We got to do something different. The, um, I think right after the... Right after the McKinley assassination, the, the, the McKinley campaign was all that money. And then we went into the Teapot Dome scandal and all that money there. But then we started having campaign finance reform um, during that time period. It was the first campaign finance uh, reform era that we had. Um, we had capital and labor battle and reform with that, with the trust busting. And we kind of balanced out for a really long period of time. But we've had this growing division for 50 plus years. We've got to do something. We've got to talk about the real problems. 
we can't keep on fighting about like last year the whole thing in virginia with education was critical race theory this year it's all about transgenderism right it's a new problem every year and the next year it's gone like i haven't heard critical race theory once this year glenn youngkin became a governor and it went away he magically cured critical race theory but somehow transgenderism is a problem in our public education system, but he's still governor. Either he can fix the problem or he can't fix the problem. And I don't understand why they're running congressional candidates on education platform as opposed to a federal platform like they're supposed to. It's all just, it's all just a big... It's a lot of emotion. A lot of emotion, a lot of uh, trying to get people very excited. I mean, I, there was, I sent you that Obama clip from his one speech and he's, it's He's a masterful poet. He can get you to feel something where he's talking about social security and he says like, Ron Johnson's going to take it away from you. You know, you've, you worked for that. Your parents work for that. Your grandparents work for that. They've got calluses on their hands. Their backs are hurting. And it's just, a, it's a powerful image. And um, that's what he's, what he's got. He's got images to get you uh, angry at the other side so that you'll come out and vote for him because that's what he, he's promising. He's, I'll make you feel better. You know what he forgot to mention, though? Those parents worked for it, but the government took it away without asking <laughs> before a lot of them were born. <laughs> it wasn't their choice. <laughs> I think a lot of people would choose a different system than that. And I do think that that's something that needs to be reformed. I'm not necessarily saying that we just need to pull plug on it. You have to slowly drain it, even though there's probably no money in it anyways. But, you know. There's better ways to do things than just divide people. Obama, who, you know, he's a great communicator and he's a great poet, but he divides people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he misuses those skills. He does. And it's a shame. And I don't, I don't necessarily, does he know that he's doing it? Oh, I'm sure he does. Or, yeah. you think so? Mm -hmm. mm. Or, I mean, I don't know. Well, you're probably right. I mean, I think that these people, they're so entrenched in their own circles with all the money and the people with money. I mean, these people are so messed up. I mean, look, look at the reality shows that entertainment people put out. You know, they're the trash TVs, the, the wives of Atlanta and all these different shows. I mean, and then you look at the, the infighting of, of the, uh, the politicians and you think, man, these people are just, they don't have the right values. They don't have the right mindset. Why are they in charge of anything? Well, I think, like, I think the people who write, I mean, like you write poetry and you know, like you're trying to communicate something. And so if you're going to go out there and speak, you know, you know, especially that's the power of rhetoric is, you know, um, you're trying to speak to multiple audiences and you're trying to get multiple people to kind of come along with you in an, in your journey. Yeah, that's right. It's not a game. This is about my life. It's about my wife. It's about my kids. <laughs> uh, all right. So how do you feel about that episode, John? It's good. I think we're going to get rid yeah, of the 17th I, Amendment. Yeah, I hope so. One day. One day. One day. I don't know. I don't like talking about these things. These things, like I said, that day... Like that day will always stick out when I'm telling my dad, like, I'm, I'm scared. Like I'm, I'm legit. And 
through this time period, I've gotten less scared and more scared over it because like all the things that I thought were happening, I've been able to confirm with facts and, you know, mm-hmm. evidence from history. And that kind of makes me a little bit more scared. But at the same time, I've met people like you um, and I, I have we've built out a group here in the uh, in our local community uh, of people who just regular citizens who read history and understand politics. They they probably know more. I would say there's probably five people in our Madisonian group that we meet with that are more qualified for for federal office than 90 percent of the people in office already. Mm-hmm. And I bet you there are people like that all over the country. They're just they don't believe they can because they've been told by the leaders that they're not supposed to. They don't feel like they have the opportunity because the money is such an obstacle for somebody like me or you. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just it's insane. Um, I mean, the local school board races out here are just they're driving up the money and you know, it's like twenty, thirty thousand dollars raised for a local school board race. It's like it's it's crazy. Ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah. It sh- it shouldn't happen. It's it's supposed to be about the kids. Will anybody think about the kids? Peace and love. So it wasn't the fact that Roscoe Conkling was nasty per se with his words. It was more with his actions. He led a generation of Americans to believe that the government was a way that it wasn't supposed to be. He led them to believe that if they worked for his faction, the Republican Party, and they won, to the victors go the spoils. And they would get that government job. They would get that consulship, as Godot was seeking. And life would be easier. It was well paid. Um, But it wasn't real. It wasn't the way that our founders intended it to be. And it wasn't the way that it should be, because it wasn't fair. It only served a very small number of people. It didn't serve the American people. And the government is there to serve the American people, not the Republican people. And when Garfield came in and reformed and refused to honor these, this spoil system that Conkling was so fond of, and Conkling was out there defending it time and time again, making people like Godot, people that are disconnected from their family, disconnected from reality, seeking to latching on to something, wanting to be part of something so desperately in this world, he made them to believe that it was their right. And it wasn't. And he felt, when Garfield came in and and refused and, and tried to reform, he felt like his rights were being violated. And he created this story, this idea that he was doing something for the country, doing something for the party to help Roscoe Conkling, to help Chester A. Arthur become president and save the country. It's not that Roscoe Conkling was a part of the assassination. It's the fact that Roscoe Conkling's actions allowed the sickness within Godot to manifest into that assassination. He fed Godot. He fed others, I'm sure, as well. It's just that Godot's the one that snapped. Godot's the one that killed Garfield. 
Godot's the evidence that we can see. But it's dangerous. When you have a responsibility, when you have power, it's so important to wield that power responsibly. And Conkling didn't do that. Conkling wielded his power for himself. Garfield wielded the power for the country. It didn't work out well for Garfield, unfortunately. But it didn't end up working out for Conkling either. Because once Godot did what he did, and the country could see the evil for what it was, and Chester A. Arthur could see the evil for what it was, his eyes were opened, and he reformed. And I just think that it's a really important story of our history that it gets overlooked time and time again. And I think it's something that we need to talk about, we need to think about, because there's a lot of lies and deceptions from our leaders right now trying to tell us that the government is supposed to be a way that it isn't supposed to be. And right now in our society, we have broken families everywhere. And there are people searching and grasping for something to hold on to. And those people with power, those people with a microphone, they have a responsibility to wield it properly, with respect, with knowledge, and not for themselves.